0: The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. For as little as $5 per month, you can help keep the show ad free while also helping to fund our annual updates to our 2021 FBS team profiles. On that note, our Tier 2 Patreon supporters receive access to our daily updated depth charts, including transfer and injury news, other personnel moves, as well as individual player ratings, coach and team performance history, in depth returning production numbers power rankings and point spread projections and much more for all 130 FBS teams visit patreon.com/cfbwinningedge for more details
1: Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E. And we did it, guys. We are done. We went through all 130 teams uh, as far as the review for last year goes. Uh, we got a lot of stuff coming up on the horizon here at CFP Winning Edge as well. But today we're going to be talking about some news because we haven't done the news in a while. You know, this there's never really a dead period for college football. But, you know, if there is one, it has been the last month. The biggest thing being the NFL draft, watching a lot of those players go from college football to never being on Nick's radar again to the NFL, <laughs> but he says he's going to watch the NFL this year. So I think, I think we're going to get some uh, Falcons updates from Nick, but uh, the, the off season is kind of over spring games are, uh, you know, pretty much done with now. And now we're getting into some major news. We did have some college uh, or some uh, head coaching stuff to go over too. but Nick, how you doing, man? How is the off season treating you so far? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much
0: of the opinion there's not really an off season. I always feel like I'm two or three projects behind <laughs> in in sort of how you know it's it the the months are moving pretty quickly for me. I'm sure there are a lot of college football fans out there who are you know saying it can't uh, come soon enough, but I've still got a lot that I want us to do and and talk about and uh, things to add to all of our. Uh, you know, our FBS team profiles and and other things that we put out for our Patreon supporters. But yeah, I, I, uh, this time of year is very interesting because the, you know, the NFL draft, it seems like is everywhere all the time. And then, yeah, those players are dead to me basically afterward, (laughs) Uh, except the Atlanta Falcons, my hometown team, uh, did draft two of my favorite players in college football, Kyle Pitts and. Uh, Avery Williams, and so that coupled with the fact that I've been trying to, uh, you know, carve out a little time to to watch more NFL, and also one of the projects on my summer to do list. Once I get a, a few other projects done, is I want to spend more time just sitting down on uh, NFL Game Pass and and watching their all 22, and just drawing stuff up because I feel like you know i'm i'm working on our spreadsheets 40 50 60 hours a week and at certain points you don't really see the uh, forest for the trees like you know, yeah, I'm just yeah. so so drilled down in the numbers and the names and, and all that and that's partly why you know pro uh, football just kind of leaves my my brain and i forget about certain players cuz i'm so focused on you know the upcoming season or the, the current batch that that's in our uh you know, in our, our spreadsheets, but um uh, lost where I my train of thought where I, was, <laughs> where I was going with that. You, you uh, got oh, too far in the first already. Exactly. Yeah. I was Sorry. <laughs> I was getting sucked in already. Uh, but I, I feel like I need to, at times, you know, step back and, and actually just concentrate a little bit more on nuts and bolts, X's and O's football. So I've been I've I've got a couple of books that I uh, want to read coming up, X's and O's type stuff. I've I've uh, started watching while I'm doing my uh, my ride on the exercise bike some uh, you know old coaching clinic videos, and, and then I do just want to spend spend a little time. And, and all twenty two at the college level, at least for uh, some of us, is is pretty difficult to come by. So the NFL. Fortunately releases it for every game. And and so I am going to going to spend a little time. I'm uh, going to probably, I think, and I'm open to suggestion, but I think I'm going to watch Baltimore and San Francisco first, because I kind of want to see teams, what they're doing with, uh, you know, 21 personnel, which I think potentially is going to be, we can, going all this later but (laughs) i think we're gonna. i think we're seeing things shift a little bit more 12 personnels of course super hot right now but uh oklahoma is basically my favorite offense to watch and they do 21 personnel but can make it look like 12 11 whatever you want so uh i i could certainly use some suggestions to go in that direction but early early thoughts are baltimore and san francisco are maybe a good starting point for that
1: yeah, probably pretty good start. I did not playing.
0: expect to talk about this at the beginning. Well,
1: maybe Carolina. See what Joe Brady's doing at the end. Carolina, absolutely on the list.
0: Too? And other other teams that will be able to apply uh, to college football. Like I'm, we're going through. We mentioned on the uh, video the how to use the FBS team profiles video, which is available on YouTube for everybody tweeted it out after we recorded it last week. Uh, if you're a potential patron or want to know what in the world we're talking about uh, sometimes when we're, we're talking about certain numbers and things, but um, the, uh, God, I lost my train.
1: <laughs> we're getting too far into the weeds. We're getting too we are. far into the forest.
0: We, we, we are. We need, we need oh, a compass right. to get us going, back. Through, going through and, and uh, building our coaching histories And I know there are some guys who are in play calling spots uh, in in FBS college football uh, these days that are coming from an NFL background and and we're in the NFL in in 2020. So those are probably also some of the teams I need to spend some time, carve out and and make sure I hit some of those to see what sort of influences from their NFL past, at least the last year or two, uh, that we might see on Saturdays that we didn't see as much uh, before those guys got hired.
1: Uh, Xavier and how, how is your off season going, man?
2: Well, after doing two live streams with you,
0: uh,
2: (laughs) rest was necessary. (laughs) Rest was absolutely necessary.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, those, those live streams are for the NFL draft. You know, if you guys don't know, it's five hours, five hours, six hours. So I did 16 hours worth of streaming in three days. So uh, lot, lots lots of fun, but it is a bit exhausting having to try to be entertaining for five hours straight, five hours straight, and then six hours straight. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work.
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I went to bed very sw- soundly after both of those nights. Okay.
1: Uh, did, yeah. did the IHOP ever get to
2: you? Oh, it did. It got to me finally at like one in the morning. So I mean, hey, it was. I'm not. I'm never gonna turn down IHOP, no matter what time it comes to the house. But it, it, it finally got there. That's uh, right. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, and this <laughs> off season, you know, I, I'm I'm looking forward to the next. To obviously, college football in the fall, but the but this part of the off season for me is always really fun because it's almost time for camps, and that means we can start talking about the recruiting classes and the next year. It's that time of the year for seven-on-seven seven camps. It's the highlight of the summer as far as uh, high school football is concerned. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited for this time of the year.
1: All right. Well, let's dive into this news, guys, because there's a lot of stuff to go over. And uh, the biggest piece was on April 30th, which was you know two weeks ago at this point. So it seems like it might be old news, but we haven't talked about it on the show yet. Lance Leopold uh, got hired as the, the new Kansas head coach. Uh from coming from Buffalo, obviously, and I think we're all a little bit surprised by this news. I mean, I think the, the most surprising thing to me, Nick, is how does Kansas keep dragging these big coaches uh to Kansas without a track record of success? You know, it's uh it's a little surprising. They are a power five school, of course, but the recruiting has been brutal. Um, less miles seem to Im- improve it, but slightly obviously got wrapped up in a bunch of crazy off the field stuff. So, um, you know, he's gone and that's probably good news for them. But uh tell me what, what your thoughts on this hired of Leopold to Kansas are.
0: Yeah, it, I think all things considered, you know, the timing of it is of course really, really weird. Uh, You wouldn't <laughs> want to hire a head coach in the spring, uh, you know, spring practice is already come and gone at Kansas. So, for them to have to make this change as late in the process as they did and to land a head coach that is really been as, as successful as Lance Leopold has been is uh, pretty remarkable. I think if you're a Kansas fan or, or you know, really just a, a college football fan, you, you have to think that this is the best maybe they could have possibly done. I, I remember back in what December or January when the Illinois job opened, I thought Lance Leopold would have been a perfect fit there. Uh, he's, he's won a ton. I mean, six national championships at the division three level. He, he was able to make the jump from D3 to FBS and had success at Buffalo. I mean, you know, took over a program that wasn't really uh, didn't seem to be headed in a a great direction, was able to turn them around and and won the division a couple of times, Uh, had a winning record from you know, his time there in 2015 to, to 2020 last year uh, won the, the Mac East. The running game was incredible with Jarrett Patterson and, and that offensive line and uh, very short sample size, of course, but uh, did did a lot of you know good things there and, and built what might have been his best team uh, in his most recent season. You know, Buffalo uh, last year ranked 12th in offensive team performance. Uh, or excuse me, overall team performance. They actually ranked fifth in offensive team performance, 27th in defensive team performance. The offensive line was number one in our O-line performance ratings, and, and the defensive line was uh, a modest 56, but still, you know, pretty, pretty decent. So uh, for him to to make Buffalo as good as, as they were, I think is uh, certainly a credit to him and and his coaching staff, uh, several members of of which will be following him to Kansas. And, you know, it, it, Kansas has done this before. Turner Gill was at Buffalo, turned them into, you know, had some success and then got the Kansas job. And that's really about the time that things really went South for Kansas. So, you know, maybe there's some uh, concern from the fan base initially that, that, you know, Hey, do we really want to go down this path again? But I, I'm a, a believer in Lance Leopold. I think he was one of the better, Options out there for the entire coaching carousel, you know, cycle, and for Kansas to to land him a a program that, as you mentioned, has got some off off field issues that they're going to have to navigate. But uh, on field is is about as bad as it gets, power five wise, and and so it's going to be a long haul. They're they're probably not going to win for a while, but you know, I, I think Leopold can. Get it done. So uh, I think, like I said, all things considered, Kansas did as well as as they could possibly hope for. Uh, the way things ended up working out.
1: Yeah, I mean Xavier, your thoughts on uh, Leopold going to Kansas? And I think we were all uh, just kind of surprised that they keep pulling a big coach. And uh, I mean, they, it, it is surprising.
2: They continue to do it. I, I don't know what's in the water in Kansas. Somebody's got to let me know because. They have been able to pull just some names over uh, my lifetime, really. Uh, You know, from Mangino to Hill to Charlie Weiss for a second to Les Miles, now Lance Leopold. Like, they've just been able to consistently bring a guy in that most of college football either knows or or, or if they don't know, he's an up and coming coach. And for Lance Leopold, I think this is a good move for him. My only hope with him is that he doesn't get burnt out at Kansas and, and people begin to label him a bad coach for not being successful at one of the hardest universities to be successful at. Uh, I think Alexis Leopold, you know, has made the right decisions in his coaching 10 years so far going from D3, obviously to Buffalo. And I think this is a good next step for him. I don't think it's too much of a jump to to say that it's, you know, too much for his boots, but I think personally, he's still, he's staring one heck of a daunting task in the face right now. Um, you know, but if he can find any success, I think that's the real positive that he can pull from this is if he can make Kansas even close to 500, you know, consistently throughout his tenure, that is going to lead to him getting one of those top, you know, one of those high, highly touted power five jobs that could be open in the next three years. I mean, we've talked about it several times on this podcast. There's a lot of big name universities who are still in limbo, even with their current coaches, Uh, current coaches there so there's not so there's nothing to be said or there's something to be said for Lance Leopold going to Kansas and giving himself an opportunity to be one of those coaches that could get snatched by a Florida State uh you know by a Tennessee later on down the line in the next two to three seasons if he's able to have you know the the, an inkling of success while at Kansas
1: yeah so I mean I'm I'm I I hope they can become successful. It's always good to see a a team like Kansas go from rags to riches. You know what I mean? Uh, They they obviously have a a great basketball team pretty much every single year. So it's not like they're lacking in everything, but you know, it's, it's good to see teams like that come out of the muck. So, uh, you know, Miles didn't do it. Maybe Leopold can do it, but it did lead Nick to another head coaching. I, yeah.
2: Oh, I was just going to say you're right because they've won 20 games in the last 10 years,
1: 20 games. And I know one of those was against Texas. It was uh Deontay Foreman had 55 carries in that game. And I think it was the second most carries by a running back in college football history. And they lost. So, uh, that's the one that sticks out to me, you know, not the drummings of Kansas that they've had over the years. Of course the one loss, it was like the first loss in 59 years or something or 59 games is some absurd number. So, uh, But, uh, you know, a new hire at Kansas means Buffalo had to replace uh, Lance Leopold. And they went with uh, Maurice Lindquist, uh, who had coached the Cowboys defensive backs in 2020. Now, if you watch the Cowboys defensive backs in 2020, you probably would wonder, how does one get a job? But... He has many, many stops in his coaching career, not yeah. just Dallas. So, Nick, what do you think about this uh, hire of Linquist going to Buffalo? Yeah,
0: it's, it's interesting. And to be honest, uh, Maurice Lindquist not really a name that I knew uh, just right off the top of my head until he was mentioned as a, a leading candidate. He had briefly spent about 100 days as the co-defensive coordinator at Michigan, uh, part of that young staff Turnover that that we talked about uh, months ago that that Michigan has has uh, done on the defensive side of the ball, uh, but yeah, you know, before that one year in the NFL, spent some time at Texas A and M, Minnesota, Mississippi State, Iowa State. Also had a stint a couple of years at Buffalo. Uh, you know, FCS, uh, James Madison, Division II, Valdosta State, and then he was a GA at Baylor where he also played. So he's worked for you know some pretty high profile. Head coaches, mostly interesting to me, at, at least the, the last few uh, bigger names in college football, Jimbo Fisher, PJ Fleck, Dan Mullen, all
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, offensive guys. So, you know, kind of kind of interesting there. He's, he's had some uh, exposure to, to different types of systems, of course, uh, throughout his career, a lot of different. Uh, opportunities different head coaching styles uh, but you know was at Buffalo in in uh, 2012 coaching DBs as well under Jeff Quinn uh, added the title of passing game coordinator the the next season so uh, you know has experience there he's a young guy as, as I mentioned 37 years old uh, seems like you know, you, you would expect somebody that that could relate fairly well to uh, players, a lot of energy. And and so not knowing a ton about what, uh, you know, sort of style he's, he's looking for offensively, what sort of things he might want to change. He's never, to, to what I've been able to find, been uh, a defensive play caller. He's only been, you know, was co-coordinator for that hundred days at, at Michigan, but it didn't sound like he was going to be the guy really in charge of running uh, that defense. So, you know, a little, maybe uh, not the the best or, or not the fullest resume we should say mm-hmm. that, that a lot of uh, first time head coaches might get, but we've seen guys move from position coaches to be very successful head coaches as well. So I don't, I don't know really what to to think, to be quite honest. As a first-time G five head coach, you know, we're just gonna put in a, a generic head coach rating. Lance Leopold, I, I failed to mention, was actually 33rd, still is 33rd in our, our head coach ratings, which was the second highest. Uh, ranking for any coach hired in in the past cycle. Only Gus Malzahn was a a higher rating according to our numbers, but uh, you know, not knowing a ton about linguist and not having a track record as a head coach, we're going to have to put in a generic 75 rating for, for him. So, you know, they'll, he'll start as the 110th ranked head coach, but you know, we'll, we'll see it there. I think there are plenty of positive signs, uh, that it certainly could work, but at this point, you know, I, I just don't know a ton about him. The one thing, and, and we'll get to here in just a bit, uh, since Leopold has left, you know, something that that linguist is is having to deal with. He's had more than a half dozen, you know, contributors, some of which are are starters, returning starters, enter the transfer portal. So, you know, yeah. not not inheriting the the. uh fullest cupboard uh from that standpoint, you know, plus the loss of Jarrett Patterson and, and uh Koontz uh, defensively. And uh so, you know, he, he's inheriting a good program, a winning program, but uh not not maybe the easiest start. So it'll it'll certainly be interesting to see how it all plays out and, and especially so late in the process. But you know, I think some positive signs and and excited to see uh what he does as a, a new head coach in, in college football.
1: And last year, we thought that, um, oh, God, who was it? uh, Tucker that went to to Michigan State was late in the process. And that Mm -hmm. was what, in March when he got hired last year? Yeah. Yeah. Because it was before all hell broke loose. So Mm -hmm. uh, I remember that. But that was late in the process, too. So now, I mean, this is extremely late in the process, Xavier. What do you think about this hire?
2: Yeah, I mean, when, when you when you look at his resume, it, it kind of seems like there were different points in his resume where people tried to give him a, a higher or uh, more responsibility. And he kind of just, like, turned as as soon as they t- attempted to do so. You know, so, you know, Nick brought up his time at Baylor. Well, his last year at Baylor, he was the co-defensive coordinator as well as the recruiting coordinator. He leaves the very next year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, was it,
0: a G.A. at Baylor.
2: Oh, I'm sorry, not Baylor, at Buffalo. <laughs> excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Buffalo, he was the co-defensive coordinator as well as his recruiting coordinator in uh, 2013. He leaves right after that. When he was uh, with Minnesota, um, the following, uh, he was named assistant coach, assistant head coach, excuse me, at Minnesota. He leaves right after that and decides to go to the coaching staff at Texas AM and to just be a DB coach. So multiple times, and obviously then we talked about his, his small stint at Michigan being the co-defensive coordinator there as well. Once again, he he kind of just continued to pivot until I guess he found a job that perfectly fit what he wanted to do. Um, I don't know if his, you know, of his time back in 2013 as a recruiting coordinator will lend itself, you know, any dividends as far as him being now the head coach there. Maybe he's still got some old connections uh from that time spent that he can use to his advantage while being the head coach. I just, you know, there's there's a lot of question marks here with this move, with you know, it just seeming and Scott, you you alluded to it right off the bat, he's not coming off of the greatest last season being the DB coach for the Cowboys you saw how bad that defense was you know um, you know he was the DB coach at AM he was the DB coach at Minnesota these aren't the greatest secondaries in college football in those years in which he was there so you know it's a really it's a really odd hire for me uh, if I'm being perfectly honest I, I understand the youth I understand that he was there before so maybe that's why they tapped him into it. Uh, maybe he does have more connections than we realize from his time as being a recruiting coordinator. So maybe that makes it a little bit easier to hire him, uh, because he can hit the ground running on the recruiting trail with it being so late. Uh, other than that though, I'm really just pulling that straws of trying to figure out why they would hire a guy who has such little resume as a head coach or even an assistant head coach, uh, um, for Baylor, you know, so late in the process.
1: And I think part of that has to be he's willing to accept the job, right, Nick? Awesome. I mean, th- there are so many guys that are – not not that guys wouldn't take a head coaching job, but there are so many, uh, you know, I-, I think more veteran head coaches, but they don't want to mm-hmm. step in in, you know, May uh, when the recruiting is almost done for this school, knowing that if you don't have a great year and now next year there is – an in way, way more options to hire for Buffalo. So if, if he has a terrible year and then go and goes through it, they're just going to boot him after this year and get someone uh, a bigger name or whoever it is. And so I I think that that has to be part of it, right? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't, I,
0: I only heard a few of, of the names that were in the mix. And it seemed like for most of the, the, uh, you know, the, the names that seemed to, to come out as legitimate candidates. He was always sort of one of the first couple mentioned. So it seemed like there was, you know, he was at least on the radar part of the process the whole way through. I think there probably is something to uh, what you said about at this late process, maybe it was a very small Pool of of guys who said that they would leave, you know, whether it's a coordinator job or or you know uh, even a, a FCS head coach or, or a lower division head coach if they wanted to go that route again following the the Leopold uh, you know uh, plan, but yeah, I mean that might be that might be some of it, but yeah, you know I, there are only 130 of these jobs and and so Buffalo this is a, a program that has had some success, obviously has has led some coaches to uh, bigger stages uh, later on. so uh yeah, I don't know. I don't know I, I I would I guess be be just totally speculating the the resume is, you know, it's got some 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 interesting notes. It looks like uh, he was there you know, that PJ Fleck's first year and, yeah. and not a hundred percent sure if, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, moving on to Texas A&M was of his own uh, decision that couple of years at, at Texas A&M is probably the most impressive piece that that jumps out to me because, you know, Mike Elko uh, who, who it sounded like was part of the process in the Kansas hire, one of the higher rated, most, you know, highly respected defensive coordinators in, in college football. And I know that defense has gotten, you know, better, but in in 2019, still uh pretty pretty decent unit. I, I think that's probably a, a good part of, of his uh resume there is, is his connection to Elko. You know, Buffalo and and the state of Texas, of course, are not particularly close, but mm-hmm. having some connections in Texas and Mac schools do recruit in the South, a lot of you know Georgia players and uh, Mac schools and, and things like that so you know I don't know it's interesting but some of the earlier steps I mean Iowa State I think he was there right when uh, yeah. that staff got fired right before Matt Campbell was hired I think that uh, yeah that that last year at Buffalo uh, Quinn was fired so you know uh, he he wasn't necessarily on the most successful of stabs in in that middle part and then started to jump around a little bit at at the power five level and then had a taste of the NFL. So I don't know, we'll see. It's, I I think I've said this before. And, and, uh, just at, at this point in my personal career, I guess of, of evaluating these sort of things, I'm being much more patient, much more cautious. I used to say like, Oh, you know, Immediately I can tell this guy's a good hire or oh that guy, you know, he doesn't have the experience. What are you doing, Buffalo? But now, you know, we just kind of have to we have, have to wait and see. Some guys are even though they might not have the resume, they might come in and and just blow away the the athletic director, the other decision makers and might just be somebody who's destined to be a head coach just hasn't had the traditional route to get there. So, I'm I'm taking much more of a let's wait and see uh stance with with higher excuse me hires in general and and this one in particular but uh you know it, it is a difficult starting spot in the calendar but he is taking over a program that that's you know been winning so hopefully uh we'll be able you know in position to to have success
1: early nick how dare you be level-headed Uh, And uh, calm and patient about a head coach. Come on.
2: To to Scott's point earlier about them like just letting go of him after this season, he's getting paid more than Leopold is off of his base salary right now. Like he's getting, he's also the fourth highest paid coach in the MAC as of right now. Um, So I I don't think there's any, you know, any plans on him being let go anytime soon with a paycheck. I don't think any
1: team would plan that. My my point is, is you know. He comes in late in the process. So that mm-hmm. hurts. It hurts recruiting. Also, uh, the head coach left. And like Nick mentioned before, they lost a, a ton of experience on that team because those guys are transferring to Kansas, right? And unnecessarily. Um, so, uh, well, uh, you know, they're losing. They're, they're not going to be on Buffalo, is the point, you know? So uh, th- they lose a decent amount of experience. You come in later in the process, and now you have to coach up. Uh, the new kids, you have to decide who you like, uh, you know, who maybe it, you think is being coddled, who isn't worth starting, who is worth starting, all that kind of stuff. It's just later in the process. So if you have a terrible year, because Buffalo's coming off, you know, some good seasons, that's why Leopold got this job at Kansas, and you're incredibly unsuccessful and there are better options, no university is really afraid to cut a guy. So the money does matter. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, so they may have given him a two year deal and that might've been part of him saying, look, I'll come here and coach, but I want at least two years. You guys can't can me after this first year because you're hiring me late in the process, right? It's a four and a
0: half year deal. Yeah. At the college level. Yeah. It's gotta be four or five. You can't, you can't really recruit and say, Oh, I've only got a two year yeah, sure. yeah, I've only got a two year contract. So I, I would be very surprised. And obviously, we've seen the last couple of years, higher profile, you know, Willie Taggart and whatnot, uh, only get two years less than two years. But I would be very, very surprised if he didn't, you know, as part of this whole deal, it said, Hey, it's May, it, it, you know, this is not really set up for for great success right away. I need some guarantees. And it, you know, it sounds like, uh, maybe the money is part of that. Maybe there's some guarantees, you know, and, and uh, buyouts that are higher than you might expect based on based on his resume or what have you. But I, I would be very surprised if they moved on quickly for non or, or for football only reasons. But you yes, know, who, Nick, who knows? I would,
2: I would agree. His contract is littered with incentives. I think that goes to your point. I think he definitely asks for those. So, uh, you know, like he's getting an extra 15,000 for eight wins, 20,000 for nine wins, and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, he gets 15,000 15, for being named coach of the year in the MAC. So there's definitely, I think there was definitely money wise, he definitely came in asking, like, hey, rightfully so, saying, hey, it is May. I should be able to get this. I'm able to get you guys to this point um, with being on such short notice. Uh, so I agree.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, my my point is less about the coach and university specifically and more about the impatience of yeah. uh yeah. you know teams overall and this is you know uh being a Steelers fan seeing three head coaches in my lifetime you know what I mean it's Chuck Noll, Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin that's it you know and, and that doesn't happen in the NFL I mean uh how many coaches have the Browns had in that time you know probably uh, have they had more years, years of uh, Xavier on this earth or head coaches in my lifetime. That's what I would like to know. So yes. Uh, yes. I, I bet the numbers closer than we think. And, and that's just something, you know, I mean, societally people are more impatient. So uh, I don't expect him to get fired either. I think it would be really stupid to hire a guy or to hire a guy and then fire him after one year. It's dumb. So uh, unless he runs into a less mile situation, we hope that doesn't happen for anybody, but, uh, speaking of transfers and Buffalo having a bunch, there have been many, many transfers since we last talked about them, Nick. I mean, over a hundred updates, some big names too. So where do you want to start as far as the transfer portal goes?
0: yeah, and and of course, part of our offseason plan was a, a kind of a deep dive position by position into transfers and a lot's happened since then and and yeah, I did. Uh, we, we've added a new page to our uh, FBS team profiles, a, a transfer updates page. This is a, a suggestion from a Patreon supporter. Uh, to get you know a chronological list of, of transfers, so you don't have to just go through 130 different teams, makes a lot of sense. We always want to make our uh, our things as as useful as possible uh, to the people that that support us. So I you know thought this was great and it was it was perfect for running through this particular segment because I could just see yeah we've had since we did a a our last show over 100 transfer updates uh notable transfer updates. So guys who are leaving big time programs, guys who are coming in uh to, you know, be projected starters or major contributors, things like that. I think the 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 two biggest names and and maybe the most interesting to most college football fans over the last, you know, week plus, uh Alabama landed two of the higher profile transfers out there and and all American caliber linebacker, Henry Toto from Tennessee. And then Jamison Williams from Ohio state, who was a starting wide receiver at Ohio state. Really but nice to the
1: finally see something go right for Alabama. You, <laughs> you know, know
0: guys, I, mean? I, I think they're going to be okay. Uh, in, in okay. 2021, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Toto is, is one of my favorite players to watch in college football. He's just all over the place. Uh, Ton of fun, incredibly productive, and a huge, huge loss for Tennessee. You know, it it was pretty quiet for the most part around his uh, recruitment when he was in the portal. Weren't seeing a whole lot of things about, oh, I got this offer and that offer because you knew everybody in college football would want him. And it seems that it came down to three options, returning to Tennessee, which it always sounded like was a possibility, not necessarily probable uh, or Alabama was, you know, among the first names I heard. But then Ohio State apparently got into the mix. And uh, Alabama already, uh, before they, they added Toto, was, was our number one linebacker group, just based on, you know, our, our experience-weighted uh, and production-weighted numbers, uh, or Excuse me, they were second at linebacker in those numbers, but they were first overall as far as the average just raw talent ratings from 247 Sports and, and Rivals, and so you you can imagine that this is already you know an elite elite unit. Ohio State is is completely rebuilding their linebacker unit, and certainly they're still talented, uh, but uh, he he arguably could have had a bigger impact at Ohio State. But you know, Alabama is uh, obviously a, a, a national title defending team, national champion uh, caliber uh, looking unit at, at this point. So no, no wrong choice between the two. But but for them to add him, and then the interesting one to me was was Jamison Williams because obviously Alabama, we know Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith gone, Jalen Waddle was drafted higher than, than Devonte Smith. So having to replace both of those guys is going to be difficult. Having to replace multiple first round wide receivers and back-to-back years, you know, it's, it's taken a little bit of a toll on that unit. Ohio state so deep at, at receiver is our number one rated uh, receiver and tight ends unit. But, you know, for Williams to kind of get squeezed out a little bit, it looked like some, True freshmen coming in might take some snaps. It looked like some uh, second year guys, redshirt freshmen, sophomore guys uh, were going to be squeezing in for snaps. Olave came back. So he wasn't going to, you know, uh, take a step up in, in uh, his role there, but because of that, but Alabama, you know, they, they, There are snaps available for receivers. John Mechie, uh, the third coming back as a a returning starter. Slade Bolden got some experience as well, played over 300 snaps. But beyond that, nobody else returning on the roster played more than, uh, looks like, 56 snaps coming back at, at wide receiver. So uh, absolutely chance for playing time there. Williams is is you know a speedster, a guy who can come in and stretch the field. He's 6'2, and and uh, they're certainly brought in an incredible group of of recruits, for receivers. I think we're ranked in the top 75 overall and top 10 at that position according to 247 sports, but you know, it it might take a little bit of time for some of those guys. It looks like IJ Hall might be a, a starter immediately, uh, but you know Williams is going to come in and and play. And so uh, for Alabama to be able to to plug a a potential hole, not even sure it would really be an actual hole, uh, is is pretty big. So kind of excited to see and and very interesting how it played out, where a guy could get squeezed out at one national you know, a playoff uh, contending team and find a, a home where he's got a little bit more solid route to, to guaranteed playing time with the defending national champion. So uh, kind of, I guess, you know, the boil it down the richer are getting richer at, at Alabama with now they can, you know, some guys don't play, they transfer and Alabama can bring in uh, just elite players or at least guys that that have that potential to fill those spots. So, Pretty, pretty incredible.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, big-time transfers here, Xavier. What do you think about them?
0: I mean, uh, they,
2: they you want my honest answer? They make me sick. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you go into the spring game watching Alabama and you're looking at the, the positions of need and, you know, not only – do they then bring in, you know, on a former Ohio State commit, one of the best, you know, higher-rated kids in the country. But then you watch the spring game and you realize, well, they didn't even need him to an extent as, you know, the freshmen that they're bringing in are making one-handed grabs in their spring game. So, like, it, it's, it, it's it's a, it's a gun for punishment, and it's just it's ridiculous. I, I don't like it, you know, hey, you know, Henry Toto comes in, you know, he, he was a headache at Tennessee, but now he's a headache at Alabama with much better players around him, so he could be even more of a headache. Great. Like – you know, there's, there's no positives, you know, uh, coming from this as a Georgia fan, at least. You know, obviously Alabama gets better. They fill holes uh, and, and holes. We put quotation marks around yeah, yeah. that when you're talking about Alabama. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's a great move for Jameson Williams. I think he gets out of what, you know, I think guys like Chris Olave coming back really hurt his chances of getting an opportunity there at Ohio State. Uh, Chris Olave was a guy that many people thought well, it was going to be a second round draft pick. But him coming back um, and, and trying his chance to get further on into the draft uh, definitely hurt his playing time so coming to an, a university where at least he has an opportunity to get reps uh, I think is is the is the biggest key for him as of why he moved. Uh, Henry Toto is going to come in right away and, and play first day. Uh he's going to play next to Christian Harris. He's going to ridiculous. I don't even want to read. I'm not going to read. Yeah, he's going he's, <laughs> yeah, he's going to slide right in. He'll be perfectly fine and he will be a top deal. He probably get taken by Baltimore next year, Scott. So
1: enjoy yeah. That. Uh, yeah, it, exactly. So, did you guys see this
0: highlight by the way of, of uh IG Hall? Uh, and I'm probably screwing up his name, I, I apologize, but uh, apparently just just uh, you know, playing pickup basically, uh, made a, a spectacular uh catch over Isaiah Rogers, the Colts corner. They're just I don't think know, I, I did see playing that. a bunch of guys. Yeah, you can you can just search it, search his name on Twitter, it comes up pretty. Uh, pretty pretty quick, but yeah, he's he's just makes a makes an incredible uh catch and then just does you know somersault backhand spring.
1: (laughs) Just just looks like Spider Man, right? Yeah, yeah, just just crazy. There, there's been. He's
0: the next great. Yeah, he's gonna be a stud.
1: There's there's been some uh, big positions transferring to Nick, right? Like uh, I saw that you posted on Twitter the other day. If you're if you're a lineman over 300 pounds, the transfer portal is the place for you. Plus a lot of running backs moving. Uh, So what do you think about the just by position? It's interesting seeing certain position groups moving around.
0: Yeah, I think if if you're a, a 300 plus pound interior defensive lineman, Who has some starting experience, uh, you know, G five level, even FCS level, and and maybe you need a little bit of a a self esteem boost. Just go into the transfer portal, and you're going to get Power Five offer after Power Five offer after Power Five offer. You know, uh, weeks ago, the the kind of the first one that really alerted me to it, and I think it was going on prior to that. But uh, Arkansas ended up landing a few. Uh, transfers, defensive line transfers, but John Ridgway, who was a very, very productive uh, defensive lineman at, at Illinois state at the FCS level. But when he was tweeting out and, and some of the transfer portal 247 has a uh, uh, an account and, and rivals also has an account. They, you know, tweet out the so-and-so is, is getting this offer and that offer. And I noticed Ridgway just one after the other, it was like Penn state, Michigan. I mean, you know, blue blood type programs were, were after this guy. And it just kept going other defensive linemen and, and the more recent uh, ones to, to do it. Auburn just landed Tony Fair, who was a a Mm -hmm. starter at at UAB, really only a a part-time starter at UAB and, and, you know, was productive last year. But I think that just shows that the, the style of player, is in such demand that you might not even have a ton of experience or, or, you know, a a super productive track record, and you'll still be in demand if you uh, you reach this certain or meet this certain criteria as far as, you know, physical traits and and things like that. Kansas uh, ended up losing a a sophomore uh, to the transfer portal. listed at 345 pounds, Terry Dejan ends up going to Tennessee, you know, so, so we're seeing guys that, and even he, you know, I didn't, didn't project him in our current depth charts as a starter at Kansas, but he's entering the transfer portal and, and uh, moving on to Tennessee. So, you know, this particular type of player is, is definitely highly sought after uh, right now, but also, you know, more top of mind maybe for for your casual college football fan, running backs. And you know, Stephen Carr, former five star at USC, is now in the transfer portal. Uh, a few other guys have had some off field issues lead to their uh, entry into the transfer portal. I know Carlos Davis at South Alabama uh, had some off field stuff earlier in the year, and and so he's looking for a new place. But uh, Jamel Carruthers apparently is is uh, no longer at the Naval Academy, but might have been there. You know, most proven at least, offensive player entering this year, and and he's somebody that could probably help a lot of schools out there if if uh, all is well. Uh, you know, able to to be admitted at school. I'm not I'm not sure all the the details to his uh, dismissal. It sounded like an honor code violation, but they're you know very vague, of course. But if he's able to to move on and and. Uh, join another FBS program, I have to think he would have an impact car. I think absolutely would have an impact if he's able to stay healthy and, and Davis did some really good things as well. So if he's eligible or, or able to get uh, a, another opportunity at the FBS level uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's certainly some impact guys there that they could help. And, and uh, Clemson uh, I always, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Shay Malusi, you know, sounds like he's uh, maybe, Headed to Wisconsin was the last thing I saw. So there's certainly some some musical chairs happening, some opportunities uh, for carries out there and and some pretty talented guys maybe to, to be able to fill those holes.
1: Sabir, so, what do you think about uh, some of these position groups moving and some of those bigger names there?
0: What I see
2: is I need to gain 300 pounds. Uh, you know, I, I need <laughs> to get there because I, I, uh, if, that, if that's what they need right now, that's what I can go get. Uh, you know, I can get to 300 pounds if I need to. That's uh, a lot I have. I, I do what I got to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I think this, I think this is, I think this is really good for, for one. Auburn, I think gets better with Tony fair. Uh, you know, he was a highly productive guy, at UAB, but more importantly, Auburn has lost a lot interior over the last two years. You know, we talked about Marlon Davidson, uh, Derek Brown, just to name a few from that defense a couple of years ago. And they just haven't really been able to fill that gap uh, and, and been able to plug those holes. So definitely getting a guy with, with uh, you know, the, the pedigree that he's going to be walking in with is huge for them. You uh, you know, I, when it comes to you know you know when it comes to K- Tennessee bringing in anybody right now is a positive you know they lost so many kids that anybody that they bring in right now is, is huge for them just to fill up the numbers but also because you know you're looking at Josh Heupel who's used to getting G you know who's used to quote-unquote getting G5 level you know kids I think this is huge for him as far as what he can do as far as a development standpoint, you know, he was a pretty good developer whilst at UCF. Uh, I don't know, you know, and, and being at Tennessee, he, these guys are going to get thrown into the fire. That's my only concern. Go ahead, Nick. I know you want to say something. I see it. I was just saying
0: UCF fans might argue with you a little about that. They sounded like weren't from, from what I could tell, weren't incredibly uh, sorry to, to see Hypel go, but what the one thing, I mean, his style of play uh, that defense is going to be one. I don't know that the defense is going to be particularly good, but the <laughs> style of play on offense is they're going to get tired because that offense is is either going to score or get rid of the ball. Three and out. Bad. Yes. So it's mm-hmm. it's you know it, that they they need bodies over there for sure. Yes, and they and need He you. mentioned defensive line specifically after the spring game is something that they wanted to get and and they found. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'd heard some good things after seeing this news and, and you know, Terry obviously wasn't really on my radar, but uh, I mentioned he's listed at 345 pounds, but it sounds like that he's trimmed up a bit. And, yeah. you know, some guys can carry 350. Okay. Uh, some guys, you know, it's just a, just a marshmallow. So it sounds like he's trimmed up a little bit, maybe gotten stronger, carrying his weight a little bit better. So, you know, uh, certainly credit to him if, if he's been able to, to put in the work and and that'll help take his game to the next level. Hopefully he'll make an impact.
2: Yeah, I think it's not too out of the question right now that you're seeing a lot of these kids into the transfer portal after the spring game. I think a lot of these kids are understanding that they, you know, what they they see the writing on the wall, you know, in talking about Ches Malusi or Shay Malusi, excuse me, and, we, and they raved about the the just the running back room at Clemson and kids that are younger than him that just are going to get more touches and got more touches in the uh, in the spring game. You know, I think him going to Wisconsin would be huge for him. It'd be definitely an opportunity for him to get the touches that he wasn't going to get at Clemson. And you know, Nick, I don't know if you hit on Tyree Johnson just yet. I couldn't remember if you did or did not. Uh, but I, I think same for those, same for them. You know, it's the same. It's a similar theme that we'll see here you know, over the next couple of weeks. Is after these spring games, the writing's on the wall for a lot of these kids. You know, if you didn't get the normal the, the touches that you felt like you deserved in those spring games, you're going to enter your name in the trench report just to see what's out there. You know, we talk about Tyreek Johnson coming out of Ohio State. Once again, a high re- highly recruited guy. And, you know, we, we you, Nick talked about people needing people up front on the front end. There's a lot of teams that could use some help. On the back end, Uh, you know, obviously, you know, me being a Georgia fan, Georgia is one of the first names that come to mind when he talks about, you know, lack of cornerback depth or just youth in the cornerback position. Uh, So there's a a lot of skill positions. So don't be surprised if more and more skill position guys, I'm talking cornerbacks, wide receivers, running backs, start to enter the portal because there was a lot, there's not a lot of deep, you know, we just talked about Alabama. Clemson's another one that isn't deep at the wide receiver position, or they're very young there. So they can, there's openings as well. You know, we talked about Justin Ross maybe playing this year, maybe not playing this I'd year. I argue
0: with that. I think Clemson's receiver core is but would you say they're, they're fine. Huh? I would I, say they're young. Uh, I would say that, that youth I, is, if everybody is stays perfect. healthy. I think and, and Ross and I'm I'm with, with I'm with, pessimistic with Ross, about Ross. specifically. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of have to, to wait and see. I mean, uh, as as serious of a a uh, medical issue he's dealing with. I just think it's it's you mm-hmm. know just be cautious and until we we yeah it'd be silly stay. to
1: assume he's going to play.
0: Right? But you know they they if Ladson is is uh, going to be fully healthy had some some. Uh, was banged up a, a bit last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Engato was banged up a bit last year, but if, if both of those guys are good to go, EJ Williams looks like a yeah. star. Yeah, uh, Aju Aju looks like a, a future star, and, and he only played 109 snaps last year so i th- i think they're going to be fine but i thought w- i thought what you were going to say is they could use some help in, in the secondary oh yeah and they've they've got you know andrew booth was a wasn't even a starter and he was an all acc player so yeah, they're <laughs> they're fine at corner gross but their safeties i don't love i think they got exposed a bit uh in in the in the playoff have a, a couple of you know the last two Playoff losses, but uh, yeah, I thought I thought so. That's where you were going with Darian Kendrick being gone. But yeah, I agree. Georgia uh, certainly could use another uh, transfer DB, and and Tyreek Johnson, as you mentioned, former five star, is out there. Uh, Tulsa has a, a, a pretty productive player, experienced guy. A Caleb Evans just uh, entered the transfer portal. He sounds like he's getting some Power Five love, uh, and then. Yeah, you know another former five-star Jordan Johnson wide receiver landed at UCF after having uh, not played really kind of sounded like got got a little bit of a disappointing freshman season at, at Notre Dame, uh, but at least on paper looks like could have a, an impact at UCF. And then uh, Jeffrey Johnson at, at two lanes, another of those uh, defensive lineman guy who's a you know over a ninety in our player ratings, mm-hmm. uh, played a lot of football at, at Tulane and and that was a really really solid uh group up front for them last year but you know two of his is uh running mates are, are off to uh the professional rank so you know obviously he sees uh that his skill set and, and uh uh makeup are, are in in demand so I, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up at a uh, high profile power five school either. So absolutely. I mean, we're we're gonna I'm sure follow up in in future weeks with some of these guys that we mentioned who are still out in the portal. but there's there's some quality uh, players out there and and you know, try to keep tabs on all of it and and that's why we that's why we have the the sheets that we do try to try to keep everything organized. but yeah, yeah he's a, yeah. Jeffrey Johnson's
2: a Mississippi kid, and so I would not be surprised to see him. Especially when we've talked about, we've all talked about on this podcast how much Mississippi could get, Ole Miss could get better defensively. I would not be surprised if they took a swing at him, especially with him essentially going back home, the production level at Tulane. I mean, they need help anywhere on defense. So, that would be
1: a great fit. They could, they yeah. absolutely could use him. I think what we actually said was they couldn't get any worse. <laughs> so, but, uh, <laughs> you can always
0: get worse. <laughs> uh, yeah, That's
1: very true. You know what? Uh, I shouldn't have said that because you're absolutely right. So, uh, but I think uh, any anything else on recruiting or, or, or I mean, on transferring or did we cover it?
0: I think we're I think we're at a good uh, a good spot. We'll we'll uh, finish with a, a little little stats talk.
1: Yeah. So a new segment that uh, we're, we're going to do here, and this is me. I was telling Nick, uh, I watched a highlight video, and Baker Mayfield was talking about how great his handoff was on the uh, Nick Chubb's 96-yard touchdown run, which set the Browns' longest rushing touchdown record ever. And he was like, do you see me on that handoff? That's where I am in this segment right here. So I'm going to, uh, you know, for once in my life ever, and probably the last time I'll ever say this, be like Baker Mayfield and hand this ball off to our running back, uh, Nick Chubb slash Nick Allen here. So uh, Nick, go ahead and, and take it away.
0: Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that this is a 96 yard touchdown run, but, but uh, I do want I mean, to, I more
1: meant my part is over. But... <laughs>
0: right, it's, it's, as, as we, in our, you know, three minute pre-show meeting, uh, as we were talking about this segment, uh, basically, you know, this, this is not uh, as I said, then this is, this is not rocket surgery necessarily, especially where we're starting. But I uh, wanted to, to talk about at least at first our five primary, what I call important stats. what I list is is the important stats that uh, you know we like to refer to, I like to refer to uh, to, to get a, a good glimpse as to whether or not a team is playing well, basically. you know, overall on offense, on defense, I, I've kind of uh, focused on five specific stats, that I think that, you know, there are no perfect stats. There's no one stat that you can just look at and say, oh, that's absolutely going to tell me whether or not a a team is good or not or or playing well or not. But I think that these five and sort of the way that we set them up offer a pretty good snapshot. Uh, And, you know, we we try to find a small group that basically the way I think of it is, is if a box score... Uh, kind of a, a non-traditional advanced stats box score only had five pieces of information in it. If you could just look at those five pieces of information and, and determine whether or not a team was playing well or, or was a good team, I think that these are, are five pretty good ones. I don't know if they're the best five, but but uh, they're ones that that I like. So wanted to spend a little bit of time at the end of each of the next, at least five shows, uh, to just talk a little bit about which stats we we focus on that we use in our projections that play a pretty big role in our team performance ratings, which are a, a big part of our projections and kind of where they came from, why we use them, why we think they're important. And the first one is, is a very basic one, yards per play. And take it just a, a little bit, you know, step forward. And the one we really focus on is net yards per play or, or yards per play margin. And yards per play has been around basically forever, but for a long time, of course, people really referred to total offense or total defense or or things like that. Oh, so-and-so ranks 107th in pass defense. They allow uh, 375 passing yards per game. And there's some, you know, you you can find out some things just thinking in in those terms, but uh, really a, a per play, uh basis is is more impactful can can actually uh you know give you a more accurate figure of of course so uh the the kind of popular modern you know guy who, who has sort of brought it to the mainstream where everybody uses yards per play to the point where now you know some newer newfangled stats uh kind of think yards per play might be a little bit uh, passe, but uh, in, in 2014, Bill Connelly, you know, uh, wrote about his five factors, the, the five things that can uh, lead to winning, basically whether a team is, is going to win a football game or not. And the first one he always writes about is explosiveness. And the, the first stat that goes in as part of that is, is yards per play. So um, he found in a, a 2014 write-up that, that really does a great job of, of explaining his five factors in full uh, using 2013 data, but he showed that uh, or, or mentioned that that previous years correlate very, very similarly, that if you win the yards per play margin in a game, if you win by four yards or more, you're going to win that game 100 percent of the time. And you're probably going to win it by 42 points or more and sort of show different different uh, stages where, you know, between three and four yards if you want it you'd win by this much on average. One and a half to two, you'd win it by this much. But the big thing is, if you won it, if you had more net yards per play, and we're talking about offensive yards per play minus defensive yards per play equals your yards per play margin or your net yards per play, that you were going to increase your chances of winning to at least 55%. And then it went up, you know, like clockwork, every uh, basically, you know, half yard to, to full yard it it was a very predictive uh, stat as to determining who was going to win or not. So uh, the way that, that he put it, you know, big plays are probably the single most important factor to winning games. And so, you know, taking that a a little bit step further, it makes, uh, or simply it makes sense that a team that averages more yards per play, and then also allows the fewest yards per play Uh, is in a great position to win so we use in our team profiles uh yards per play that are from non-garbage possessions in fbs versus fbs games and those are are uh, provided at at bcftoys.com by brian frumeau
1: can you real quick tell me what is a um what's the difference between a regular play and a a garbage play is is it a point total is it a uh, time of the game specific what what when do we see actual garbage time
0: there are different uh, formulas for it but yes you, you hit on the two it's it's score and it's it's time left on the okay. clock so it's basically once statistically the game is over gotcha. and okay. that can in theory is is how you change your play calling so uh you know we're up by x amount and it 21 was so much points left, in the right. third quarter or what have you uh yeah th- then you know we're probably gonna maybe run the ball a little bit more we're gonna try to eat some clock that sort of thing uh at least in theory and and bill connelly has a, a formula uh brian fromo has a formula other people out there who do great work have have different takes on it what should be a garbage play what shouldn't but i'm not smart enough for that i i <laughs> let the let the smart people figure that out and, and I just uh take a look at, at what they do. And I do think it's interesting sometimes to, you know, because you can get the y'all uh the, the raw yards per play from like cfbstats.com or, or from you know official team websites or whatever. And it's interesting to kind of compare them. So uh in the raw net yards per play last year, BYU was number one. Well, they were number one in, in the adjusted as well, but in the raw total BYU had, you know, three yards or more had a, had a plus 3.03 net yards per play. And in the garbage time, it was plus 4.1. So BYU was, was just absolutely killing people until the game got out of hand. And then they kind of pulled it back a little bit. You know, once, once it hit garbage time, they were not, you know, Throwing the ball deep downfield quite as much, they were not uh, breaking off big runs quite as much. That sort of thing. So, you know, you might get a different top ten, uh, like in, in raw net yards per play. It's BYU, Alabama, Buffalo, hey Buffalo, uh, Cincinnati, Arizona State, North Carolina, Oklahoma, uh, Western Michigan, excuse me, Clemson, and San Jose State. And then in in the uh, weighted or, or adjusted, it's BYU, Alabama, Buffalo, Western Michigan gets a little bit of a bump up from eight to four, Florida, Arizona state, San Jose state, Clemson, Oregon, and then Ohio state and Cincinnati are, are uh, both there. But uh, you know, you, you can look at the leaderboards and and I think what net yards per play does is gives a good, it really, it's a good proxy for how, how well is this team playing? I mean, when we first started doing team performance ratings uh, net yards per play really correlated very very closely to those initial team performance ratings just you know how good is this team if they are out you know gaining their opponents by x amount per play and just put those 1 through 130 you know that's that's if you can do nothing else it's a decent proxy and and i I've, I've gotten to the point where i like i think points per uh drive a little bit more than I like yards per play, but yards per play is, you know, it's solid. It's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a good solid statistic. And, you know, one thing that, that we'll do it, at, at he's part of the section, we'll wrap it up here is you, are you guys familiar with a goal board? Like a, a, a team after each game.
1: Sounds where... like something from soccer.
0: <laughs> no, it's a, it's a football thing, but it's, it's, uh, you know, did you win? Yes. You oh, yeah, okay. yeah. One of those you... locker room. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. It's in the mm-hmm. locker room. You know, did we get 3.3 3 yards on first down? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, did yeah, we yeah. force two turnovers? Yes. Did Why we hold well, under I've 150 been... yards? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Under 150 yards, that's not what we're doing anymore. We don't care about that. We, <laughs> But we want yards per play. So, one one thing that I'm you know, it's kind of been in my head for a while building a goal board. And, and I think that we can use these important stats to do that. You know, what what does a, basically a top 10 team look like? Because goal boards are, uh, at least all the ones that I've, I've been a part of, uh, mm. they're pretty ambitious, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. defense, it's, <laughs> it's three turnovers. and And, oh, yeah. you didn't force three turnovers. Oh, you didn't meet that goal. And so, you know, the way that I'm thinking about it, Uh, Is okay. What what do we need to get to a top ten level? So if we just use our slap uh, our snapshot from twenty twenty, our goal as a as a team for offensive yards per play, if you average seven or more yards per play, you are in the top ten of the uh, non garbage leaderboard. Uh, Oregon was was tenth at seven point oh five byU was up at, at 8.5 so if you're seven yards per play per you know during the course of a game you're probably going to meet that goal so so that's what we want there defensively based on last year's numbers seems to be 4.9 uh, so you know you maybe could push it to a nice round number at five if you're under if you're allowing fewer than five yards per play you're playing at a, at a you know reach that goal type level. Uh, so, you know, that's teams like Marshall was 4.9 in the non-garbage FPS only, uh, level Cincinnati 4.86. We, you know, they were really high in our defensive, uh, team performance ratings. Iowa led the nation at 4.28. And then on the raw numbers, it's, it's pretty similar. Georgia and Northwestern were right under 4.9. Iowa was at the, t- at the top still at, at 4.34. So we're going to make our defensive goal 4.9. And then, you know, looking at, at on the net, it, it looks at 1.6. If you're outscore or, or, excuse me, outgaining your opponent by 1.6 yards per play on the margin or, or you know, net, uh, you're going to be a top 10 level. So that's the list that, that we mentioned before. Uh, San Jose State, Clemson, Western Michigan, Oklahoma, North Carolina, Arizona State, Cincinnati, Buffalo, Alabama, BYU. That's a pretty successful list of teams. You know, if you just just look at that list. How many championships were won? Well, you know, BYU didn't play in a conference, but they had only one loss, 11-1, and one, right? Alabama, national champion. Buffalo won their division. Cincinnati, undefeated until the bowl game, probably should have beat Georgia. Arizona State, you know, uh, only four games, but really came on at the end. North Carolina was a, a dangerous team. Oklahoma, Big 12 champ. Western Michigan was a, a division title contender until the last week. Clemson, playoff team. San Jose State, Mountain West champs. So, You know, you're talking about these are basically the best teams in college football against their level of competition. So I think that's why this is a a stat that, you know, does seem to point toward toward winning. And and then if you're able to to get that goal of seven yards per play on offense and four point nine yards per play on defense, that actually takes it up to another, you know, that takes it a a, another level. That's 2.1 yards per play. And at that point, you're really elite. If you're meeting both your offensive and defensive goals, that pushes your net yards per play into the top three nationally in, in the non-garbage. So, you know, BYU was at 4.1. Alabama was at, at 2.96. Buffalo was at 2.2. Those are the three best teams in college football as far as yards per play on the margin in, in those uh, adjusted numbers. So I, I think as I'm sort of formulating this goal board, You know, those are our numbers that seem to put us in a pretty, pretty solid category, top 10 uh, in each in each. And then if if you meet both, then you're you're playoff caliber, top four, top three. So I think that's what we're going to shoot for. And, and, you know, we'll build this list as we go uh, through the the rest of the offseason. And and I'm going to start charting these. I'm going to kind of have us have a goal board and and I'm going to go through the box score each week and, and tally them up. And, you know, maybe we'll learn a thing or two.
1: All right. Well, that is excellent information. I love that we're kind of getting the behind the scenes of, you know, the stats. Everyone knows, uh, you know, everyone knows these stats, but why is yards per play? Uh, included in this formula, I think is a. Uh, I, I like it, Nick. I think it's a great idea to go through these. So uh, that is well, going to wrap. And it up.
0: Others will be sorry.
1: No, we go won't ahead, wrap please. it. Up, yeah. <laughs> but uh,
0: you know, and others are a little more advanced. Yards per play is not, like I said, uh, super difficult to grasp. And hopefully, I'll be able to explain the others uh, fully. But. Yeah, I thought this was a a good place to start. And these have been, they've been good for us. They're part of why our projections have have gotten better and better each year as we've started to look deeper and deeper at, at these types of stats.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, we're going to go uh, deeper and they will be more complicated, obviously, as we move forward. But uh, that is going to wrap it up for us today. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.
0: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.